So we're about to launch into Romans 9 through 11 of the Book of Romans. And this is a very controversial uh, section of uh, the Book of Romans. Why is it? Why do you think this is such a controversial section? Well, the first thing is that most people, most Christians who read the Bible, um, tend to feel that Romans 9 through 11 just doesn't connect somehow. It doesn't, it seems to be a a section entirely isolated on its own, uh, afloat, uh, without any connections. But that, of course, is a serious mistake. There is every connection of this passage, Romans 9 through 11, with the previous part of the book. But not only that, People tend, or Christians tend, to divide the chapters, to separate them, 9, 10, and 11, and particularly 9, chapter 9, from chapter 11, and chapter 11 from chapter 9. For instance, in chapter 9, it says that a remnant of Israel will be saved. In chapter 11, it says that all Israel will be saved, and so you get this argument among many Christians, some of whom um, uh, hold up the flag of chapter 9 and say, well, only a remnant of Israel will be saved because the rest have rejected Christ and uh, therefore they will be lost. And then the others in chapter 11, those uh, uh, championing chapter 11 say, no, it says here that all Israel will be saved. And then there's a middle group that says, well, all Israel means literal Israel plus the Gentiles who are spiritual Israel and those literal Israelites who believe and the Gentiles who believe constitute the all Israel. And so, you know, it's hard for some people to think, to to determine what's the truth, you know, and they, they hear these two views and they say, well, if these Christians can't sort it out or the preachers, how can I? What is happening, though, is that people have divided the book and divided the chapters and separated them and isolated them from their context. Do you remember high school days and uh, you were, or maybe college days, you were required to do uh, book reviews? So what did that imply? Well, you had to read the book and you had to review it uh, or give a summary of it at least. Now, granted that... <laughs> Many of us uh, just uh, skimmed each chapter and uh, didn't give, uh, didn't read the whole book because we were given so many books to read that it just seemed impossible, especially if you were a slow reader. So you skim the chapters anyway, and you 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 do a review that way. But if you did it properly, that would be parallel to what is required when we study the Book of Romans or any other book of the Bible, for that matter. Do a book review of it. What does that imply? Well, when a person writes a book, he has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion, doesn't he? And uh, that uh, is automatically understood. This person has a theme that he's talking about. He's introducing the theme, he's developing the theme, and he's drawing conclusions from the theme. Well, that's the same with the Bible. Evangelical Christians tend to do proof texting. They gather a text from this book, a text from the other book, a text from a dozen books, and pull them all together and bring up a doctrine. 
But that is not the way the Bible was written. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and we ought to understand that each one of those books is written by an individual author that has an introduction and a body and a conclusion to each book. It's no different from another book, except that the Scriptures are inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't sort of zap a human being's mind and uh, then uh, simply writes the book himself. The Holy Spirit works with the human mind to pull together what the writer has in view. This is particularly true, of course, of the book of Romans, because it is so logically developed and so carefully developed. And so we need to see the connection between the, what shall I say, the larger context or the, um, the, the more extended context and the near context, more accurately, the far context and the near context. For instance, Romans 9 through 11 has a far context. And the verses in Romans 9 through 11 have a near context, that is, the verses related to it. Right, so what, are the, what is the far context of the book of Romans? Well, Paul has stated right at the beginning that the whole world is under the wrath of God and has been handed over to the powers that it chooses instead of God. The world is in suppression of God, and that suppression leads them empty-hearted and empty-souled, and so they run after idols as substitute gods. And God hands uh, the world over to those idols to enable the world to see that it is empty of spiritual substance. And then comes the relevance of the gospel, that God provides the substance in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And then comes that description of how, we, how Jesus is our righteousness, that description I described, summarized the other day, freedom from wrath, sin, law, and death, entrance uh, into the uh, fellowship with God, freedom from the identity of sin and the condemnation of the law, freedom from the power of death and living in Christ's resurrection. Which leads Paul then to one of the near contexts when he says, uh, and we've just uh, been studying all this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I am convinced that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come and on and on uh, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now that is the near context for Romans 9 through 11. Because Romans 9 through 11 is saying this, is basically saying this, implying this. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, if the atoning sacrifice of Christ has removed all barriers between us and God, then why is it that Israel has not accepted Christ? Why is it that Israel is not yet saved? That's the context. That is the connection of Romans 9 through 11 to the previous far context and the near context of Romans 8, the last part, leading up to 9-11. So that's, you see, how we launch into Romans chapter 9. 
we, we see that Paul is addressing this very troubling question. And by the way, before we go into that, remember then that 9, 10, and 11 are all connected. They are near contexts to each other. And so when Paul says a remnant of Israel will be saved in chapter 9, and then he says all Israel will be saved in chapter 11, we have to see that there is context between 9, 10, and 11, so that all Israel will be saved is a full explanation of only a remnant being saved at first. You can't separate these things. You cannot do proof texting and choose your particular view in chapter 9 uh, where, where others choose their particular view in chapter 11. Okay, so that's a little bit of uh, schoolwork for you, and I hope you don't mind my sharing it with you that way. But it's so important because evangelicals have tended and, and, and fundamentalists to, to really mess up the scriptures with all of this proof texting. If you want to understand the book of Romans, consider it as a book review. Consider it as I'm going to find out what is in the author's mind, what his introduction is, how he develops the body of his argument, and how he brings his conclusions together to convince me of what he's saying. That's what we do with all the book, or need to do with all the books of the Bible. You say, I haven't got time for all that. Well, <laughs> nor have I. But it would be nice if we had time for one or two of the books in that way, wouldn't it? It would turn lights on in our heads, let me tell you. All right. So Paul says in verse chapter 9, verse 1, I tell the truth. In Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the, com the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises— of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Well, this is a heavy passage. Paul is saying he's really troubled in his heart, because he's a Jew himself. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Jewish person, and he loves his people, and so he should. And he's deeply troubled, because... Here he is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Gentiles. Mind you, that doesn't mean that he excluded Jews, but his primary work was for the non-Jewish nations and people. He was sent to them, but all the time he's concerned about his Jewish brethren, that they have resisted Christ, the Messiah, and are therefore not saved as yet. And he's troubled about that, so troubled that he wishes that he could be a cast-off. I mean, this is a really strong language here. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, that is, for the sake of uh, for, uh, my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. And he's talking about literal Israel, because that's what the flesh means here, the true literal tribes of Israel. 
They are Israelites they, to whom pertain the adoption, glory, covenants, and so on, and the law. So this is clearly talking about literal Israel. I'm very troubled about them, he says. He prays for them. He wants them to be saved. And it is a, it is a perplexity to him, in a certain degree anyway, that since no barrier now exists between God and human beings, that God is drawing all humanity to himself through Christ, well then, why isn't Israel drawn to him? Of course, Paul must probably remember the words of Jesus related to him probably by Peter, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Israel was designed to be the first, but is the last in believing. But this is what we need to start understanding here. Paul is building a case for the salvation of Israel. It's not a separate issue. It's not disconnected from the whole. He's explaining in these chapters how God brings about the salvation of his chosen people through the, the atoning work of Christ so that it can be said that if God is for Israel, then nothing can be against them. God will indeed redeem them just as he will redeem us. Well, I hope you will read uh, the uh, the ninth to the 11th chapter for yourselves very carefully, detail by detail, as we go into this search. This is Colin Cook here, and thanks for joining me today. And uh, I wonder, please... Would you consider a donation to keep the broadcast going? There's a new month coming up, and perhaps you could look at your budget and consider a, an important donation for this ministry. It's, it's listener-supported radio. Send your donations to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Or you can make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Each program costs $39 per 15 minutes, which is $200 for a week's programs, and about $850 to $900 for a month's programs. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for your little notes. I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.